I'm Franca Gallia, and this is An Aromatic Life. So today's episode is a really important conversation. I want to thank you right up front for listening all the way through. I don't think you're going to regret it. The reason I say it's so important is because my guest today is sounding the alarms about the reality, the dire situation that we're finding ourselves in with regards to aromatic medicinal plants. You know, the truth is, I've always wondered since the day I became a student of essential oils, how it was physically possible for Mother Earth to meet the growing demand we humans have for all things natural. I mean, I was so worried about it, I decided to make it the thesis for my research paper when I became a certified aromatherapist. Maybe you're someone who enjoys using all those beautiful essential oils, the CO2 extracts, the absolutes, the hydrosols, or the carrier oils. Maybe you're an aromatherapist or a natural perfumer, an essential oil enthusiast, or you're simply a person who cares about the planet and its species. Well, my guest today, Dr. Kelly Ablard, is going to wake you up to the distressing situation we as a planet find ourselves in. Dr. Kelly Ablard is the founder and executive director of the Aramid Institute. She is a conservation biologist and a clinical aromatherapist who's dedicated to the global education, research, and sustainable management of medicinal and aromatic plants. She's a global presenter and has authored peer-reviewed research in the fields of conservation, sustainability, chemical ecology, behavioral ecology, evolutionary biology, and ethnobotany. She currently conducts research in Peru with the Shipibo and the Quechua indigenous peoples into their threatened medicinal and aromatic plants. And she equally enjoys her role as co-owner, co-principal of Essence of Time College of Holistic Studies, and as a board director for the United Plant Savers. I asked Dr. Ablard to join me to not only talk about where we find ourselves in this moment in terms of the availability of these healing aromatic medicinal plants, but also to explain what's being done in terms of conservation and sustainable management of the plants so we can continue to use them for healing and well-being. Yes, this conversation is going to seem a little alarming at first, but I promise you the tone is hopeful. There are things that each and every one of us can do in our everyday actions and conversations. And most importantly, every time we make a purchase decision to move in the right direction, we discuss that in detail, and I have clear action steps at the end for you to consider. Don't worry. So without further ado, enjoy this enlightening and very important conversation with Dr. Kelly Ablard. Hello, Kelly. Welcome to An Aromatic Life. I'm so honored to have you here today. Braca, thank you so much. The honor is all mine. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Thank you so much. Oh, well, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. And I think the work that you're doing is so important. I want everyone listening to learn more about the conservation and the sustainability of aromatic plants. Um, I want to start with a shocking statistic, though, that I recently read. I thought we could mm -hmm. start there because I think it'll really set us up nicely for our conversation here today. So yeah. according to the Global Market Insights, the size of the global essential oils market exceeded 7.5 billion U.S. dollars in 2018 and is yeah. estimated to exceed 15 billion by 2026. So that means in just eight short years, the market will have doubled its value. 
And that's just crazy, isn't it? (laughs) It is crazy. Those are numbers I can't even really comprehend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I know a lot of that growth is coming from the increasing demand from the food and beverage market, the cosmetics and toiletries market. There's a lot in that number. The fragrances, even the pharmaceutical industries are looking at essential oils more. And of course, consumers continue to want more natural foods and more natural personal care products. But there's also a growing demand coming from the essential oil and aromatherapy markets, right? And that's what I want to focus on here today a little bit Mm -hmm. from that angle and also the plants, most definitely, (laughs) Uh, because many (laughs) listeners will already be using essential oils and absolutes and CO2 extracts and carrier oils even. And they're most likely using them for their personal well-being and for natural perfumery, perhaps. Um, So I wanted to have you on to shed some light on what the implications are for the insatiable desire for all things natural and to learn what we as individuals can do to be smart about using essential oils and absolute (laughs) CO2 extracts and all that stuff we buy. Let's be honest, when a market is growing as fast as the essential oil market is, people, and I mean people in this industry, see the dollar signs. And so there's gonna be adulteration, exploitation, corruption, all that stuff. She's nodding her head. I just can continue for a few minutes. I know you agree with me and I'll let you talk in a minute. Oh, this is great, yes. I just want to say it's up to each of us to be informed and to choose wisely, keeping Mother Earth and her precious resources in the forefront of our minds. And not to mention the farmers and the communities that are supported by this industries. So to start, I want people to have a few facts and figures in mind as we have our discussion to help give them some context. So let's start off with a very basic but important question that's really for the basis of our conversation here today. So Kelly, can you just define what an aromatic medicinal plant even is? Sure. Um, So when we're thinking about aromatic medicinal plants, we'll just start with thinking about medicinal plants, which are um, just typically, you know, defined as a wild plant or even a plant that's been cultivated that are known to somehow be directly or indirectly used for medicinal purposes, okay? And when I say for medicinal or even medical purposes, it's because these particular plants contain biologically active ingredients that affect physiological processes of living organisms, including human beings. And then when you add the word aromatic to the medicinal plants, it kind of defines it in terms of a more broad category of plants that are distinguished by their fragrance. And many of these plants are the source of what you had just touched on, uh, essential oils, CO2 extracts, hydrosols, and so on. All right. So what would you say roughly, what percentage of all plants are aromatic medicinal plants? So that's a bit of a tricky question. Um, (laughs) And so um, we're gonna go through a little process here because I don't really think anyone could say for certain uh, the number of species um, of aromatic medicinal plants because the number of species on earth as we know it is still not known. Um, There have been at least 2 million species which have been named and identified and it is estimated that another six to 18 million exist. Wow. So yeah, and new species are being discovered every year. Uh, For example, in 2019, 1,942 new plant species were identified. So in terms of plants, uh, scientists have estimated that there are 390 
8,900 plants known to science. And of those, there are roughly 350,000 accepted species of vascular plants. But thinking back to medicinal plants though, it's documented that roughly 25,790 plants of medicinal use. But then you're asking, you know, what percentage of those are aromatic? So that also comes down to the definition <laughs> of which, what is aromatic and in right. itself that can take many forms. And, and in my mind, it is an absolute, it is more subjective really. So for example, what one culture considers aromatic, another may not. Um, so if we're gonna think about it, let's go back to 1998 for a moment. Okay. And it was stated yeah, that um, at that time, there are around 1500 aromatic medicinal plants, okay? okay? And by aromatic, that definition was limited to those plants that possessed an odorous volatile substance that could be the kind of the source of an essential oil, hydrosol, or another aromatic extract. So if that number still holds true, then about 6% of plants are aromatic. Okay. And yeah, and if we continue thinking about aromatic plants in that way, using that definition, okay, we know that there are at least 400 of those aromatic medicinal plants commonly traded on the world market today for their use as a source of these essential oils, hydrosols, absolutes, and extracts. No, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. And I know we're going to get into this more detail, but do you have a number of that which you feel are threatened in some way worldwide right now? I know, again, these numbers are difficult, but <laughs> these numbers are <laughs> difficult and they're alarming and they're not very consistent across okay. the board, but um, there's been a lot of wonderful um, research done, I'd say in the last decade or so, but a lot of very, very um, interesting numbers that have come out within the last year, believe it or not. And so I'm just going to start by saying that, you know, I want to remind everybody that when we're thinking about threatened species, you know, we, um, as of 2010, scientists uh, revealed that Earth is undergoing the sixth extinction. So we are in the sixth extinction right oh. now. And that basically means that species are being lost at a rapid rate that far outruns the origin of new species, okay? Mm. So unlike the five preceding mass extinctions of geological history, this extinction is one in which the human race is nearly entirely responsible, okay? So um, thinking about that, in 2019, there was this amazing report that came out um, where experts calculated that at least 1 million animal and plant species are now threatened with extinction, many within decades, which is more than ever before in human history. I mean, 1 so million, that's crazy. 1 million, that's crazy. And then just last year in 2020, I should say, um, the Royal Botanic Gardens State of the World's Plant and Fungi Assessment reported that two in five plants are threatened with extinction. So if we think back to that number I said uh, earlier, about 390,900 plants, that means that about 160,000 yeah. are threatened or about 40% with extinction. And it's alarming, okay? Yeah. Because it's also showing that extinction is happening as much as 500 times faster than what would be expected normally if humans weren't around. So, you know, that's pretty alarming. Yeah. And we can even take it down to a few more steps. And I just want to say that 
um, you know, of those, say, 25,791 species of plants documented to be of medicinal use, about 5,400 have been assessed under the IUCN, and of those, 723, or about 13%, are categorized as threatened. Okay. And if we think about the aromatic plants, the 400 I talked about being traded on the world market today, nearly 10% are collectively threatened or near threatened. So really we are in a biodiversity crisis. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I say biodiversity, what I'm really referring to is the, pretty much the variety of life in all its forms on earth. Right, 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 right. No, yeah. it's, it's crazy. And so we'll, we'll talk about what we can do yes. about that <laughs> in a minute. Cause I think we shouldn't just be, you know, there, we should send out the alarms for sure. Yes. But let's, let's also think about what we can do as a, as a human species to help support yes. the plants while still enjoying our essential oils and you know absolutely they are very good for us and we enjoy them yeah. we're not saying stop using them we're just going to find a a good way to use them right i couldn't <laughs> agree more and that's a great message Rafa. definitely we don't want to stop using them we need to find a sustainable way to use them definitely yes. a better way i agree So let's take a, a step back a minute because I want everyone to get to know Kelly, the person, and to understand who <laughs> this wonderful person is who's trying to save these plants and, and, and get the <laughs> message out. So let's take a step back and get to know you a little bit better. Um, Kelly, can you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself, even where you were born, because you have an American accent like me, <laughs> where you grew up and where you live now? Tell us a little bit about sure. yourself. Okay, um, well, I was born in a small town called Upland, uh, which is located in Southern California. It's about 45 miles east of Los Angeles, okay. just to kind of put it in context. Right. And I lived in Southern California until my early 30s. Um, at that point, I moved to England uh, to pursue a degree. And then I moved to British Columbia huh. to back and <laughs> in forth, Canada. Back. Yeah, exactly. To pursue another degree. And, and actually at that time, I also um, got my certification in aromatherapy. Huh. And now, now I'm living, you know, in between Southern California and Vancouver, British Columbia, and also Norfolk, England. So I'm kind of, <laughs> you know, those three areas have pretty much been my home for quite some time. Oh, that's wonderful. You're a, you're a woman of the world, basically. <laughs> um, and tell us about how you first got interested in this idea of conservation and sustainable management of aromatic medicinal plants. So what was your journey that kind of led you to yeah. this moment here today? It's a strange journey. Um, <laughs> is it? You know, I, be, I think it is. It's, it, well, I began to focus um, on conservation and sustainability efforts toward these essential and carrier oil bearing plants about eight years ago. Okay. Um, and really it was the journey that brought me to this path was actually a combined passion. You know, I've had for plants and animals, aromatics and science. Um, I've had that passion for all of those since I was a very small child. And, you know, I always had a curiosity for the biological sciences. So that was my kind of jumping off point. Um, I pursued a bachelor's of science in zoology. And I was at the time also uh, what they call a McNair scholar where I trained specifically 
in observing animal behavior and conducted behavioral research on endangered orangutans. Oh. And so, you know, those were really long days actually yeah. uh, when I was doing that. So to relax, I um, grew and harvested aromatics for their use in natural perfumery. And of course this made me really appreciate the power of smell and got me thinking about how scent is captured and how it can function, not just as a perfume, but right. as a messenger. Uh -huh. So, yeah, so then what happened is I moved to England where I pursued my master's in conservation and my research focused on this little prosimian called a slender loris. It's a non-human primate, which is both threatened. Uh -huh. So that's, it's also endangered and heavily relies on olfactory communication. So it comes back to, to smell. Yay. <laughs> uh, yay <laughs> right. And then that, that actually led me to pursue a doctorate in chemical ecology where I learned how to identify the chemicals that make up a scent, you know, and, and learned how those scents function in the animal and the plant kingdom. And of course, many of the constituents that we find in essential oils are the same ones being used throughout these kingdoms to mediate all forms of behavior. So this is one reason I pursued certification in aromatherapy. You know, there's a little bit of a yeah. overlap there. Yeah. So yeah, then, you know, again, back to eight years ago, I went on this expedition to Peru to find these wild populations of endangered rosewood, which actually some consider to be one of the most aromatic plants on earth. Um, and it was there that I was inspired really to begin this kind of global outreach to build awareness of the conservation and sustainability of these species. Excellent, excellent. And here you are today. We'll talk a little bit more about what you're working on today um, later on, because I've got a couple of okay. questions about that. But that's a <laughs> okay. wonderful, I mean, that just sounds like a, a wonderful journey to where you are today. Um, so I wanted to take a deep dive into two areas of conservation and sustainability. And mm -hmm. people might get these terms mixed up a little bit. So I thought we could just maybe if you could just define those two for us and tell us the, if there's a difference or what the similarities are between conservation and sustainability? That's a really good question. And it's one I get quite a bit. Um, oftentimes, yes, people oftentimes view sustainability and conservation as synonymous. Um, and, and granted both concepts, you know, focus on protecting biodiversity. However, you know, there is really kind of one uh, essential distinction between the two. So when we're thinking about conservation, that's really protecting the biodiversity here now in this moment, okay? okay? Sustainability, on the other hand, focuses on adopting ways of thinking and living that will help protect and preserve biodiversity for future generations. Ah. So, you know, yeah, and in this respect, you know, it kind of encompasses a more global approach to some degree, you know, if, for example, we were to focus on mitigating the human impact on the earth uh, for the future. So um, that is where kind of the main difference lies. And when, and when I think about sustainability, I always go back to the concept of sustainability, which is rooted in the seven generation stewardship, which is a great law of the Iroquois nation. Yes. Yes. And it's this great law that urges the current generation to live and work for the benefit of the seventh generation, or in other words, make decisions and live a life, you know, that will benefit children seven generations into the future. 
That's so wonderful. That's yes. Excellent. Excellent. So, all right. So we have the definition. Thank you. But recognizing that conservation is about biodiversity, as you just said, can you give mm. some examples of how we're losing biodiversity at such an alarming rate? I mean, I, I don't know if monocropping is part of that or if that's a separate conversation. I know that's a big conversation, but <laughs> if you, anything that yeah. you want to say about where, you know, examples of where conservation is important or we're losing biodiversity right now? Yes, and, and I think that you've hit the nail on the head by focusing on biodiversity. That is where we have to really put our energy okay. and, our, and our thoughts toward. Um, well, I can tell you that habitat fragmentation alone is responsible mm -hmm. for up to 75% of biodiversity loss, okay? Um, and and you, you touched on monocropping. So this can actually take the form of monocropping. Uh, monocropping, um, as we know, is the cultivation of, is of, a, of a single crop, and, and that actually can result in a lack of biodiversity. Right. Uh, right. And, isn't, and that, we, isn't that growing, this monocropping? Is there more and more monocropping? There is more of it. You see a lot of what they call kind of slash and burn agriculture, where a lot of area, you know, with very rich in biodiversity is completely destroyed just to plant one tree, for example, a palm tree, if you're thinking about palm oil and that type of thing, that's one of the better examples I can think of. But, um, you know, when you have those situations that are lacking biodiversity, that is never good for climate change. Right. Um, it's really, really bad for pollinators, because like something like bees, uh, those particular crops are heavily, um, you know, they're not pesticide free by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And then of course, they're losing natural habitat. So, your bees are affected, your pollinators are affected. And it also results in a really large amount of soil erosion, which is a huge problem. Um, soil biodiversity is very, very important. Um, but when you're thinking about threatened plants, sometimes you know, monocropping can actually help mitigate the impact of wild harvesting, for example. Um, so there are ways, you know, you can use the land by alternating crops seasonally or maybe planting non-pollinating crops and ensuring sustainable management. You have to be like really careful about how that is managed. Um, you know, we're also losing biodiversity by humans just clearing or degrading natural vegetation without signs of regeneration. Oh boy. Or yeah, I mean, they're not, you know, and I can I can give you many examples of where this is occurring, especially with essential oil bearing plants, um, or it's regeneration, but it's unsustainable. So that's a problem. Yeah. And then there's the other problem of just over harvesting wild species. Unfortunately, when you're over harvesting wild species, and I've seen it firsthand, you know, you're actually destroying a lot of forest just to get one tree. Um, that's having an effect on biodiversity. And of course, climate change right. um, and biodiversity, those two are intimately related. Um, and it's actually predicted that climate change could overtake land use change as the leading cause of biodiversity um, by 2070. Wow. Which we yeah. think is far away. It's just around the corner. I mean, it is just around the corner. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really alarming. Yeah. And yeah. this is where we have to think of our kids and their kids. And that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so and then the other coin, so sustainability, as you mentioned, this this ability of thinking about future generations to meet their needs. Um, mm. Can you give an example of where we're not doing that today? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that we know what we need to do, but it's just a matter of doing it better. Um, I think there are three areas that I think we need to focus on. um, And that is, well, their education, you know, exercising more compassion and respect and more effective and creative communication. I think with those three things, you know, we can start making hopefully a positive change. When I, when I bring up education, you know, I'm thinking about indoor and outdoor education. Ah. Um, it's really, really important. And this is something that um, I'm hearing about, you know, people that work with the IUCN, conservationists, um, you know, people have been doing research on the fact that one of the biggest problems we have is that there's this rapid you know, rate of urbanization and more people are being disconnected from nature and children for that matter. So we need to think about educating, um, bringing out programs or somehow bringing nature back into those lives for people that are in urbanized areas. We need to be, you know, engaging people more publicly, maybe getting involved in community gardens and We need to, um, you know, they talk about plant blindness and it's just that in itself can have different, different definitions. But one that always rings, you know, true to me is that I've talked to a lot of people, they can go into the yard and they can't even identify the plant that's, you know, literally growing in their garden. Um, And so things like plant snap or some sort of phone app that can educate you, I think is super fun. And whole, all families, you know, whole family can use something like this. Yes. Um, Yeah. And we need to think about education in terms of, you know, strengthening and renewing our relationship with biodiversity. It's not a singular species. It's not just humans. It's a holistic way that we need to be thinking about um, this this earth and you know we need to really make conservation and sustainability fixed curriculum in educational systems especially those of children especially I agree yeah so um they're on their screens a lot you know they're they're spending so much time okay unfortunately right now in the past year they have to but in general (laughs) they children and they're spending a lot of time on screens less time outdoors and just connecting with nature is such an important message It is, it really is. And, you know, um, I was just listening to this great uh, talk the other day, um, speaking about how are we going to get those, that kind of generation who are constantly on their phones and looking at their screens to think about this. And somebody had mentioned video games, you know, bringing, bringing all this into the world of video games. And I'm thinking, wow, that's going to be really cool. I don't know what that looks like now, but I think that is our future. You meet them where um, they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I think it's great. Um, so, you know, education is really fundamental. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we also have to have this compassion and respect. And I know that seems a, a bit vague, but what I'm really referring to is, you know, where we are actually losing a lot of biodiversity, it happens to be in areas where there's kind of a direct conflict you know, sometimes the people who are making decisions just to feed their families that month or even that day, Yeah. you know, so we really need to understand that in order to instill change, we need to have compassion for everyone involved. And we need to respect those cultures and those needs of communities worldwide and work together to find those answers. That's very important, I think. Um, and I have found this just within my, my work down in Peru um, with indigenous communities. 
uh, it's very important. And a lot of work can be done um, very effectively if you can just manage that. Uh, and then effective and creative communication. You know, we have to know our audience. We need to be able to spread awareness. And if we're thinking yes. about, you know, campaigns or something about conservation or sustainability, you know, we have to think about maybe social media platforms that if we're trying to gear a message toward a younger generation, then we need to know what that younger generation is all about, which maybe isn't Facebook, for example, or TikTok. Something like that. There you go. <laughs> TikTok. That's it. That's it. TikTok, you know? And so we have to be thinking outside the box. And this yes. is how we can start, I think. Um, that's where we we need to start doing, I think, more. Yeah, uh, today. Yeah. Okay. Well, anybody listening who wants to help get involved, who has expertise in TikTokers, <laughs> is the younger generation. I yeah. encourage you to get in touch with us because we'd love your support. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I want to spend a minute. Let's get into these threatened aromatic uh, medicinal plant species. So mm. I think there are three categories of levels of extinction, correct? So can you explain what those three categories are so everybody knows? Yes, yeah. So, um, well, the three categories that the IUCN uses, which I should say is the Interna International Union for Conservation of Nature, um, the three threatened categories are critically endangered, endangered, or vulnerable, okay? okay. So, but I should mention though that, um, um, all those, although those species are categorized within individual maybe countries as being, you know, critically endangered, endangered, or vulnerable, if population numbers have declined drastically in one country, for example, then the status is applied globally. So I want to give you an example. You know, there's more than 80% of the wild population of spikenard. It, oh, it has yeah. declined in the Himalayan region of India in that one region. Right. But because of factors impacting its survival are going on in other countries, the status in India represents the status of spikenard globally. Okay. So, you know, um, the IUCN has, of course, their red list, which is global, and then their regional list. So those particular categories are applied to those two lists. So I just wanted to make that clear because a lot of people, when we're thinking about education, it kind of comes down to understanding where to look for this information. I was going to say it's available to anyone to look up, correct? Yes, that's right. That's okay. exactly so right. I'll put the link in the show notes. So if people are interested in seeing, you know, what plants might be in what category, I think it's, you know, a lot of people might not know even where to look. So that's great. Thank you. Um, so can you give maybe some examples of commonly used essential oils or aromatic, um, you know, whether it's CO2 extracts, whatever it may be, that um, are in each of these categories? Like maybe Definitely. One or two, I don't know, however many you sure, want. Sure, sure, I can give you a couple. Um, well, let's see, for critically endangered, and, and I should mention that all three of these categories have different criterion or criteria that end up, you know, putting them into these categories. So critically endangered, we have right now agarwood, um, which is one of the most kind of uh, expensive materials um, on earth right now. Uh, that's critically endangered. That's oud, isn't it? Is that oud? Uh, yes, that's right. Yes. And which then is a popular note in perfumery. Yes. Very popular. Yes. yes. And, and this is um, very much so. And this is something that I would like to actually learn more about. 
uh, there, it's used in perfumery because it's not so popular. I mean, it's used in aromatherapy, but not as much. Yes. Um, yes. And then there's spikenard, which is, um, of course, critically endangered. Those are two examples. Now, in terms of endangered, where well, there's rosewood, uh, of course, I mentioned that earlier. And then, um, well, Atlas Cedarwood. I like to use that one, mention that one, because I find it used so often yes. in aromatherapy. So rosewood, um, Atlas Cedar, and then you have the vulnerable uh, category. So a couple examples would be uh, frankincense, um, Actually, that's in progress. So maybe I shouldn't say specifically frankincense, but um, we've got Brazilian sassafras and we have um, East Indian sandalwood. So those are two good examples of vulnerable. So all of those six species are threatened. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. So I also want to take a moment to talk about the people behind the plants, right? These are the farmers that toil the land, that raise the families and the communities and that depend on the income from the aromatic medicinal plants. And then of course, also the distillers that produce the beautiful liquids and the bottles that we consume, right? So yes. can you please talk about the importance of the farmer and the distiller in aromatic medicinal plant conservation and sustainability? Yes, um, really, I'm glad that you brought that up because in many ways, the farmer and the distiller, I think, play some of the most important roles in plant conservation and sustainability. Um, many of the questions that we need to be asking as consumers or as part of our kind of ethical sourcing journey, so to speak, encompass the sustainable practices that are being implemented at the levels of, you know, say economic or environmental and even cultural sustainability in some cases, when you're working with indigenous communities uh, using ancestral cultivation techniques. So um, really farmers and distillers are key. And if I'm thinking about just farmers specifically, you know, they're on the ground, they're working with the earth. They're going to be very likely more sensitive to uh, climate change, changes yes. in precipitation seasonality, you know, storm intensity, and so on. And so they're the ones that are going to be having to change their practices, you know, significantly to relate to those changes, say, for successful and, you know, mass cultivation of aromatic medicinal plants. Um, so they're, they're, it's hugely important. And the other thing about the farmers is they have to have such a good understanding of soil biodiversity. They have to understand soil management. Um, and I really wanted to just talk about just briefly soil biodiversity in this respect, because farming and soil management go hand in hand and good soil management promotes soil biodiversity. And as it happens um, that around 2014, it was found that there's a really strong relationship between ecosystem function and indicators of soil biodiversity. So we now know that if soil yeah. biodiversity were lost completely, the land-based food system would cease to function. And this would also impact cultivation of aromatic medicinal plants. Yeah. So, so much relies on farming yes. <laughs> and understanding, having that the connection, that balance. Really. Yeah. The foundation really, yes, yes, yes. And then when you, yeah, and the distillers also play a key role because now they can make a positive impact on environmental sustainability. There's many standards that we think about when we're ethically sourcing and I know we don't have time to go into those today, but they are in fact very much connected to the earth and what's going on as well. 
And they can also help to reinforce, you know, sustainable practices within forming communities. It's a, it's a very dynamic and uh, relationship that can, I think, strengthen each other. So you were involved in this wonderful Rosewood Conservation Project in mm. Peru, right? Can you tell the listeners yes. a little bit about that? Because it's a wonderful thing you're doing there. Thank you. Um, well, it's been going on for a little while now. Uh, we're in phase four. Oh. Um, so Aniba rosadora, uh, which is the Latin name for rosewood, that's the species that um, we work with, it faces possible extinction due to unsustainable harvesting and management practices driven by a really high global demand for its, its really precious essential oil. Um, and it's native to many biodiversity hotspots throughout South America. And so the loss of rosewood is kind of inseparable from the loss of many other native species. Uh, um, again, thinking about biodiversity yeah. and its cultural importance among the Shipibo indigenous people of Peru attests to its, you know, its perennial value as a traditional aromatic and spiritual medicine. It has a reputation for strengthening the heart and relationships. You know, it's about, it's the heart medicine. And I, I had yeah. a good friend of mine say, Rosewood is dying for love, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that was really profound and beautiful and it has just stuck with me. Yeah. Um, so Aramid's Toucan Project, uh, and it's named after actually the tropical bird, which apart from its, you know, really bright colors is known ah. for dispersing rosewood seeds. Um, oh, good to know. Yeah, and so the Toucan, the Toucan Project, it facilitates sustainable cultivation, environmental conservation, and community education, enrichment, and engagement. Okay. And, yeah. and maybe, is there a place where people can check that out? Yes, uh, you can read a little more about it. Um, we have a website. Um, the Aramid Institute's website has a little information on the Toucan Project, and um, it's still uh, ongoing and okay. I think it will be for many years, at least that's the idea. <laughs> yes. I'll put it in the show notes too, so people can um, find, the link to find there. But let's talk a little bit about your, um, this nonprofit charitable organization that you founded, the Aramid Institute, which I'm now a proud member of. So I'm so and glad you're doing you. this. <laughs> can you please share with listeners what the mission of the organization is? I want everybody to know about what you're doing. Thank you. Well, Airman Institute, it's, um, it's dedicated to the global education, the research and sustainable management of aromatic medicinal plants. So we aim to develop, implement and support projects and education focused on facilitating knowledge sharing about aromatic medicinal plants among healers worldwide. And we also uh, are thinking about ethical sourcing of plant extracts, sustainable harvesting methods and clinical research of novel aromatic oils or extracts. And our mission also encompasses um, helping to protect and to promote uses of traditional medicine in indigenous communities. Wonderful, wonderful. So I encourage everyone to go check that out because it's a really wonderful organization. And I think if you even, there's many different levels of membership and it's an opportunity. We just heard a webinar last week, which was wonderful, which was all about frankincense conservation yes. and sustainability. So that was a wonderful webinar. So I, I really Thank encourage you. people to check that out. Well, is there anything else that you want people to know, a message that you want to get across? It's really critical for people to hear. How can people help? What simple things can each of us do to do our part? 
Yes. Um, you know, I think that um, you can just support, you know, herbaria, you know, preserving plant specimens for posterity, you know, starting a community garden, uh, supporting botanists and conservationists and even nonprofits who are carrying out, you know, vital research and education on these plants and within those indigenous communities as well. You know, teaching our children to see and recognize local plants and getting them connected to nature in a really unique way. And oftentimes through aromatic medicinal plants, it's, it's, it's a heavy impact. And I've had that experience working with kids um, in, in that setting. And um, there's something about working with aromatics where they can actually touch it and smell it and take that experience away. It's very powerful. And mm -hmm. it's by odor, by association, um, they have this love for a plant, which we need that. We need that instilled in more people. Um, you know, we need to spread awareness about these species facing extinction. We need to really be thinking about ethical sourcing and what does that yes. look like and how do we do this? Um, you know, we're here to help people make those decisions. It's not black and white. It's, I say for every plant, there's going to be a unique way of asking those questions. And I think at the end of the day, we just need to practice mindfulness, you know, how does acting in, in the way that we are now, you know, going to provide a future full of aromatic medicinal plants for our descendants? What does that look like? You know, so I, again, it really comes down to communication and education, um, compassion, uh, understanding and, and just sharing. I, and I know that sounds quite generalized and broad, but you know, even at the Institute, we're working on developing a junior Aramid ambassador program where we're oh. going to have kids, you know, working with some plants in their local area and learning about them and, and writing about them and growing them and, um, you know, telling stories about them or whatever that may be. So, you know, we're working on a global level, Aramid is, we have ambassadors all over who are looking to collaborate. We also think that, you know, we can work to make change by collaboration through collaboration. Um, yes. Working, yeah. So there's, there's this kind of, in my mind, it's, it's endless, you know, there's so many things we can do, yes. but if you're sitting at home and you're just thinking, well, what can I do? What, what can I possibly do? Right. Where do I'm, I start? Where do I start? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, you want to order that oil off the internet. Yeah. You really can't go into a store right now. Exactly. What do you do? So what do you do? Yeah, so you know that comes down to um, having a good understanding of what oils, or sorry, what essential oil-bearing plants, for example, are threatened or near threatened. For to they, you need to understand that. You need to know that. The other thing that's important is having a really clear understanding of which plants are protected. Um, you know, their trade is protected through CITES, for example. So. I just want to mention that that can, you know, be overwhelming as I, I talked about the IUCN red list and the regional list. It can really, it can, it provides a lot of information, but reading through it all can sometimes feel a little daunting or challenging, which is fine. You know, it is for everybody that, that goes through that. So Aramid is there to kind of tease all of those plants out and to provide people at no charge with a list of those threatened and near threatened and CITES protected plants. So we take a lot of the guesswork out of it for you. So, you know, you're sitting there, you wanna order an oil. Well, let's see, let's look at the list that I have. Yes. Is this oil on the list? 
Uh, yes, it is. Oh my goodness. Okay, what's next? So, yeah. you know, we can help um, answer those questions. It's about knowing what plants need extra kind of permits to be legal. It's understanding the biology of plants. It's looking for the supplier who's going to be transparent and be very, very willing to give you all of this amazing information that you're asking for. I think that's so um, important that, that yeah. being able to ask your supplier, what are you doing? You absolutely have to be able to ask that. And if I really, really a strong believer that if there is any sort of hesitation or reservation, especially when you're asking about a plant that's threatened, uh, yes. forget it. I would just move on. Um, because as you mentioned uh, earlier, and you're so correct in saying that the majority of these oils from these plants are adulterated. Yes. So, you know, you want to make sure that this supplier is transparent and and if you are needing, for example, in the case of rosewood, it is important that we can identify the right species. That comes down to chemical analysis. So in some cases, you know, it might be important to have a GC report available to you. Yeah. Um, and and uh, any of that kind of overwhelming work, you know, we're here to help make that an easier a transition and that can all be done just sitting in your living room and that's right, a huge right. that's a really wonderful way to go about it because that is right there making a big difference honestly right there yeah, yeah. And, and we're in control we have the choice do we just grab something off of amazon because it's convenient or do we take oh. that extra minute or two to do a little yes. bit of research and say okay what i'm buying matters and am i buying an oil that's not hurting anything at least Exactly. And, you know, and this is also where, again, I'm just going to just touch on something you said earlier, because it's important. You know, these oils that are coming from threatened species aren't necessarily ones that you should avoid buying. It's, yes. it's, it's, you really need to just make sure that what's going on behind that bottle is in fact, helping those indigenous communities, um, finding that balance with the earth you know, making sure it's going to be around for future generations. If in fact you can find those oils and find the people behind that are doing those things, you need to celebrate that kind of value added oil or value added yes. product because they're doing that work that we need done right now that we can't do sitting in our living room, you yes. see? Yes. So yeah, you pay a little more and it might take a little bit of extra time, but the impact is huge you know, you know, it, it's, it's incredible. Message. Yeah. Yes. And so, yeah. And so, you know, Airmen's here to help support that process. Um, there's plenty of, of people who are ready to tell you their stories about their value added product. And I say, celebrate it and support them because, you know, it's hard work. It's really hard work. Yeah. It's not easy. And no, um, I mean, yeah. we just take it for granted. It's just a liquid in a bottle and there's so oh, much totally. behind that liquid. There's so much behind it. There's so much, there's stories and there's culture and there's, you know, biodiversity community. and yeah. community, everything exists Life. in there. Yes. Yes. And so when you're in smelling that oil, you know, it's, it's the therapeutics are one thing, but there's there's a whole kind of, you know, life to this oil that we, we need to think about. That's therapeutic and, too, though, the thinking about yeah. that. I mean, there's, it, it, it's like a spiritual ther therapy in a way, just connecting with all that comes with that plant and that oil. It's so, so true. It is so, so true. And I, I love that you mentioned that. And there is something too, just um, thinking about the spiritual component of, of an essence, yeah. 
as we know it. You know, a lot of the uh, work I do in Peru, the aromatics are fundamental to life every day. If it be a floral bath or in ceremony, the aromatics must play a role. Why? Because they connect you to spirit. Mm -hmm. They're healing. They protect you. Aromatics are powerful, you know, spiritually, therapeutically, and they tell stories. We just have to listen. Yes. We have to pay attention. And we need to protect and heal. These beautiful oils are bringing this all this support in our well-being. We have a responsibility to give back. Do we yeah. not? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, such an important message. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah, thank um, you. So tell us what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Because I know after listening to this, people are going to want to connect. With <laughs> <laughs> well, anybody can reach out to Aramid. Um, we have a great team, um, info at aramidinstitute.org. And our website is just www.aramidinstitute.org. So those are probably the easiest ways to reach me or one of the team members. Great. I'll put that in the show notes as well. So people okay, can access thanks. that quickly. Everything goes there. So I'm able to <laughs> be able to take action quickly. So to close, yes, I always like to ask my guests three <laughs> questions. I give them ahead okay. of time so you can think about them a little bit. So you're not caught off guard, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I want to get a little, get to know Kelly a little bit. I want everybody to get to know Kelly a little bit. And we're going to do that through sense and aromatic. So let's start with the first question. What's your favorite smell right now? Well, right now it is the smell of spring just around the corner. Oh, I like that. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, it really is because, you know, we are kind of confined, but when we do, do get a chance, we're out in nature and I'll tell you just that smell of green you know, the smell of blossoms in the air and, and all this new, new growth is just breaking through the soil. You can smell the earth, you know, breaking yeah. open, you know, and all of this is just kind of overtaking the senses, which are coming out of a, you know, a, a winter that's been hibernation, cold. hibernation, like right? And you hibernating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you're coming to life and with it, you know, the earth is uh, coming to life and I'm smelling that and I absolutely just love it. You know, so that's definitely my favorite smell right now. That's a good one. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. So the next question is, do you have a favorite scent memory you can recall? Yeah, actually, about 18 years ago, while I was in Costa Rica, I was conducting field studies. And when I was there, I visited this ethnobotanical garden and smelled for the first time the bark from a live cinnamon tree. And oh my goodness, when I smelled that, I was completely taken aback, you know, by this really intense and beautiful smell. And it, and it, it was juxtaposed kind of against the backdrop of like, just really like plush green vegetation and full of all these like beautifully brilliant colored flowers. And yeah. in that moment, just in that moment, I questioned, you know, if I was really on earth, you yeah. know, it was that beautiful. And and also I, I remember being, you know, actually brought to tears at that moment because that smell of cinnamon is a spice that really deeply connects me to my childhood. Wow. So it holds a really special place for me. And, and I'll never forget that moment. I know I'll never forget it as long as I live. 
Wow. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> it it smells amazing. wonderful. It doesn't just yeah. sound wonderful. It smells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the third question, what would you say are five smells that best describe you? Well, rosewood yes. <laughs> is the first one that comes to mind, you know, um, it's this floral, you know, solid oil, it's a tree, it's solid, but the one thing about it, and I've learned from the Shipibo, and I actually get this when I smell it, it's, it's a loyal, it's all about loyalty, mm. you know, and so I find that's how I relate to rosewood is being kind of emotionally loyal. Um, so that's one of them. And another one is rose. And I think that's because Rose kind of embodies this universal language of, of love. And, and in the work that I have done or I do with indigenous communities, sometimes we don't always speak the same language that is verbally, yes. but we're speaking from the heart and we understand each other. So Rose to me, I think is a good representation of that. Um, and Roman chamomile, you know, I've never actually had kids of my own. And so, there's this kind of maternal side to me and Roman chamomile is so nurturing and it's gentle and it's, it's, it's that calming uh, kind of plant or oil that I go to. So that I think speaks to my maternal side. Um, and then of course, cinnamon, uh, yes. yeah, <laughs> cinnamon. <that> <laughs> and, <laughs> but I also identify with just kind of being passionate and bold in the work that I do, you know, and really just, that tenacity, you know, it's very strong and it's there. <laughs> well, and, and it has a warmth to it. And you're uh, very yeah. warm. So oh, I, thank I get you. that too. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's really sweet. Thank you. Um, and the final one is coffee. <laughs> Believe oh, it or not, I love coffee. I love coffee. And I, people for years have, you know, always given me, you know, um, funny things around coffee or sayings. Anyways, coffee is something that is community to me. You know, it's about being social and it's, and it's yeah. bringing people together, you know, community, coffee, going to that. get it, grab a coffee or whatever it may be. So um, I think that for right now, mostly those smells kind of identify where I'm at in my life, I guess I can say. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. sure you could have done 10 if I had given you 10, but I like to have people <laughs> narrow it down to five. So that <laughs> yeah, no, that's, so it actually was hard. It was harder than I thought to come up with with that. I had to really think about it and, and <laughs> smell some of those as well. And rose and Roman chamomile are something I'm engaged with every day right now, like at least twice a day. So oh, okay. yeah, yeah, very so, nice. Very yeah. nice. Well, Kelly, Thank you so much for joining me on An Aromatic Life. It's been wonderful Thank to you. have you. I'm so glad listeners got to meet you. I'm sure many of them know you already, but uh, <laughs> lots of new people who will have met you. And I hope they all check out what's in the show notes and learn more about the Aramid Institute and the work that you're doing. And I just want to thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Franca. This was an amazing experience. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share. That was such an important conversation, wasn't it? I hope it made you think a little bit about how you're currently using and sourcing your essential oils and your carrier oils. I know it made me think about it. In the words of poet Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. I think the more informed we can be about what's actually happening to the aromatic plants from which the essential oils are extracted, the better choices we can make to ensure they avoid extinction 
and that future generations, our kids and their kids, that they get to enjoy the benefits the plants provide. So here's some actions I invite you to take now that you know more. The first thing I encourage you to do is to get educated about what essential oil-bearing plants are threatened or near-threatened. Go to the Aramid Institute website. The link is in the show notes. And at the bottom of the page, sign up for the biannual list of threatened, near-threatened, and CITES-protected plant and animal species used in aromatherapy and perfumery. It's a free resource, which is incredible. Kelly and her team have done the hard work. They've synthesized the data to make it easy for you to use. And if you find that's really helpful, which I have no doubt you're going to find it to be, maybe even consider becoming a member. It's only $25 for a year, which gives you access to so many great resources and webinars. At any rate, be sure to keep the list handy when you're thinking about buying your essential oils and carrier oils. Then secondly, ask your current essential oil suppliers what they're doing. Get to know your supplier. What relationship do they have with their farmers and distillers? Are the communities being supported or are they being exploited? If you don't get an answer, maybe look for a new supplier. You have so many options out there and your buying decisions count. In fact, it's critical and it informs how the suppliers actually do business. Thirdly, I love what Kelly said, celebrate the value-added oils, the oils that help lift up impoverished communities, that support education and sustainable practices. The oils that you might pay a little bit more for, but the effort is so worth it. There are conscientious suppliers out there, those who are working with indigenous communities to help them produce sustainably so it's good for the planet and for their community. That's added value. The oils don't just help you, but they also benefit those that produce the oil. This is hard work. I mean, it's really hard work, but paying attention and doing the research and then making informed buying decisions is what's going to save us. And it's what's going to save communities and importantly, allow future generations to get access to all these great oils as well then consider connecting with the aromatic plants. Maybe grow a few in your backyard or your balcony. The more connected you are with the actual plant that gave you the essential oil, the more respect and appreciation I think you're going to gain for what it takes to produce it. And then get your children involved if you can. Maybe walk around the neighborhood. Use that app that Kelly mentioned called PlantSnap. I know I have it. It's really great. And Try to identify different species of plants. That connection and that awareness, it's so important. All right, I'd love to hear what you thought of the episode. Did it make you think about things a little differently or in a new way even? What did you find most interesting? Leave me a voicemail and let me know your thoughts. It's really easy to do. There's a link right in the show notes, which will take you to where you can leave me a voicemail. I'd love to hear. Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. 
I also invite you to check out my website, falkaromatherapy.com, where you'll find information about workshops, courses, and other programs I offer. And make sure you grab my free audio training, How to Smell to Be Well, which you can download from my website. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.